Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part Three Lovren's Bjorgolfsson Chapter Three Haugen lay high up on the slope on the west side of the valley. On this moonlit night the whole world was white. Wave after wave of white mountains arched beneath the bluish, washed-out sky with few stars. Even the shadows cast across the snowy surfaces by rounded summits and crests seemed strangely light and airy, for the moon was sailing so high. Down toward the valley, the forest, laden white with snow and frost, stood enclosing the white slopes around the farms with intricate patterns of fences and buildings. But at the very bottom of the valley the shadows thickened into darkness. Fru Ossield came out of the cowshed, pulled the door shut behind her, and paused for a moment in the snow. The whole world was white, and yet it was still more than three weeks until the beginning of Advent. The cold of St. Clement's Day would herald the real arrival of winter. Well, it was all part of a bad harvest year. The old woman sighed heavily, standing outdoors in the desolation. Winter again, and cold, and loneliness. Then she picked up the milk pail and the lantern and walked toward the house, gazing around once more. Four black spots emerged from the forest halfway down the slope. Four men on horseback. There was the flash of a spear point in the moonlight. They were making their way across with difficulty. No one had come here since the snowfall. Were they heading this way? Four armed men. It was unlikely that anyone with a legitimate reason for visiting her would travel in such company. She thought about the chest containing Bjorn's and her valuables. Should she hide in the outbuilding? She looked out across the wintry landscape and wilderness around her. Then she went into the house. The two old dogs that had been lying in front of the fireplace beat their tails against the floorboards. Bjorn had taken the younger dogs along with him to the mountains. She blew at the coals in the hearth and laid on some wood. She filled the iron pot with snow and hung it over the fire. She strained some milk into a wooden cask and carried it to the storeroom near the entryway. Osseel took off her filthy, undyed, homespun dress that stank of sweat and the cowshed and put on a dark blue one. She exchanged the rough muslin kerchief for a white linen wimple, which she draped around her head and throat. She took off her fleecy leather boots and put on silver-buckled shoes. Then she set about putting the room in order. She smoothed out the pillows and furs on the bed where Bjorn had been sleeping during the day, wiped off the long table, and straightened the cushions on the benches. Fru Ossield was standing in front of the fireplace, stirring the evening porridge, when the dogs gave warning. She heard the horses in the yard, 
the men coming into the gallery, and a spear striking the door. Asiel lifted the pot from the fire, straightened her dress, and, with the dogs at her side, stepped forward and opened the door. Out in the moonlit courtyard, three young men were holding four frost-covered horses. The man standing in the gallery shouted joyfully, Aunt Asild, is that you opening the door yourself? Then I must say, Ben Trouvé! Nephew, is that you? Then I must say the same. Come inside while I show your men to the stable. Are you alone on the farm? asked Erland. He followed along as she showed the men where to go. Yes, Herr Bjorn and his man went out with the sleigh. They were going to see about bringing back some supplies we have stored on the mountain, said Fru Asild. And I have no servant girl, she added, laughing. Soon afterward, the four young men were seated on the outer bench with their backs against the table, watching the old woman quietly bustling about and putting out food for them. She spread a cloth on the table and set down a single lighted candle. She brought butter, cheese, a bear thigh, and a tall stack of fine, thin pieces of flatbread. She brought ale and mead from the cellar beneath the room, and then she served up the porridge in a beautiful wooden trencher, and invited them to sit down and begin. "'It's not much for you young fellows,' she said with a laugh. "'I'll have to cook another pot of porridge. Tomorrow you'll have better fare. But I close up the cookhouse in the winter except when I'm baking or brewing. There are only a few of us here on the farm, and I'm starting to get old, my kinsman.' Erland laughed and shook his head. He noticed that his men showed the old woman more courtesy and respect than he had ever seen them show before. You're a strange woman, aunt. Mother was ten years younger than you, but the last time we visited she looked older than you do tonight. Yes, youth fled quickly enough from Monhild, said Fru Asild softly. Where are you coming from now? she asked after a while. I've been spending some time on a farm up north in Lacia, said Erland. I've rented lodgings there. I don't know whether you can guess why I've come here to these parts. You mean whether I know that you've asked for the hand of Lavrens Bjorgelfsen's daughter here in the south, at Jurengard? asked Fru Ashild. Yes, said Erland. I asked for her in proper and honorable fashion and Lovrens Bjorgelsen stubbornly said no. Since Kristen and I refuse to let anything part us, I know of no other way than to take her away by force. I have... I've had a scout here in the village, and I know that her mother is supposed to be at Sunbu until sometime after St. Clement's Day, and that Lovrens is out at the headland with the other men to bring in the winter provisions for seal. Fru Ashild sat in silence for a moment. You'd better give up that idea, Erland, she said. I don't think the maiden would follow you willingly, and you wouldn't use force, would you? Oh, yes, she will. We've talked about this many times. She's begged me many times to carry her away. Did Kristen? said Fru Asild. Then she laughed. That's no reason for you to count on the maiden coming with you when you show up to take her at her word. Oh, yes, it is, said Erland. And now I was thinking, aunt, 
that you should send an invitation to Jurengard for Kristen to come and visit you for a week or so while her parents are away. Then we could reach Hamar before anyone notices that she's gone, he explained. Fru Asild replied, still laughing a little, Did you also think about what we should say, Herr Bjorn and I, when Lovrens comes to call us to account for his daughter? Yes, said Erland. We were four armed men, and the maiden was willing. I won't help you with this, said his aunt sternly. Lovrens has been a faithful friend to us for many years. He and his wife are honorable people, and I won't participate in betraying them or shaming her. Leave the maiden in peace, Erland. It's also about time that your kinsmen heard of other exploits from you than that you were slipping in and out of the country with stolen women. We need to talk alone, aunt, said Erland abruptly. Fru Asil took a candle, went into the storeroom, and shut the door behind them. She sat down on a cask of flour. Erland stood with his hands stuck in his belt, looking down at her. You can also tell Lovrens Bjorgelsen that Sarah Jon and Gerderud married us before we continued on to stay with Duchess Ingebjörg Hakon's daughter in Sweden. I see, said Fru Asild. Do you know whether the Duchess will receive you when you arrive there? I spoke with her in Tunsberg, said Erland. She greeted me as her dear kinsman and thanked me for offering her my service, either here or in Sweden and Munan has promised to give me letters to her. Then you know, said Fru Asild, that even if you can find a priest to marry you, Kristen will relinquish all right to property and inheritance from her father, and her children will not be legitimate heirs. It's uncertain whether she will be considered your wife. Maybe not here in this country. That's also why I want to head for Sweden. Her forefather, Laurentius Logmund, was never married to the maiden Bengta in any other way. They never received her brother's blessing, and yet she was considered his wife. There were no children, said Fru Asild. Do you think my sons would keep their hands off their inheritance from you if Kristen were left a widow with children, and there was any doubt that they were born legitimate? You do moon on an injustice replied Erland. I know little of your other children. You have no reason to be kind to them, that I know. But Munan has always been my loyal kinsman. He would like to see me married. He spoke with Lovrens on my behalf. Otherwise, by law, I can sue for the inheritance and the good name of whatever children we may have. With that, you will brand their mother as your mistress, said Fru Asild. But I don't think that meek priest, Jon Helgeson, would dare risk trouble with his bishop in order to marry you against the law. I confess to him this summer, said Erland, his voice muted. He promised then to marry us if all other means were exhausted. I see, replied Fru Asild. Then you have taken a grave sin upon yourself, Erland. Kristen was happy at home with her father and mother. A good marriage with a handsome and honorable man of good family was arranged for her. Kristen told me herself, said Erland, that you said she and I might suit each other well, 
and that Simon Andresen was no fit husband for her. Oh, never mind what I said or didn't say, snapped his aunt. I said so much in my time. I don't think you could have had your way with Kristen so easily. You couldn't have met very often, and I wouldn't think she was easy to win over, that maiden. We met in Oslo, said Erland. Afterward, she was staying with her uncle in Gerderud. She came out to the woods to meet me. He looked down and said quite softly, I had her alone to myself out there. Fru Osild sprang up. Erland bowed his head even lower. And after that? Was she friends with you? asked his aunt in disbelief. Yes. Erland's smile was wan and quivering. We were friends after that. And she didn't resist very strongly. But she is without blame. That was when she wanted me to take her away. She didn't want to go back to her kinsmen. But you refused? Yes. I wanted to attempt to win her as my wife with her father's consent. Was this long ago? asked Fru Asild. It was a year ago, on St. Lavren's Day, replied Erland. You haven't made much haste to ask for her hand, said his aunt. She wasn't free of her previous betrothal, said Erland. And since then you haven't come too close to her? asked Osild. We made arrangements so that we could meet several times. Once again, that quavering smile flitted across his face. At a place in town. In God's name, said Fru Osild. I'll help the two of you as much as I can. I see that it will be much too painful for Kristen to stay here with her parents, with something like this on her conscience. There's nothing else, is there? she asked. Not that I know of, said Erland curtly. After a pause, Fru Osild asked, Have you thought about the fact that Kristen has friends and kinsmen all along this valley? We must travel in secrecy as best we can, said Erland. That's why it's important for us to get away quickly, so we can put some distance behind us before her father comes home. You have to lend us your sleigh, aunt. Osheild shrugged her shoulders. Then there's her uncle at Skog. What if he hears you're celebrating a wedding with his brother's daughter in Gerderud? Osmond has spoken with Lovrens on my behalf, said Erland. He can't be an accomplice, that's true, but he'll probably look the other way. We'll go to the priest at night and keep on traveling by night. I imagine that Osmond will probably tell Lovrens afterward that it's improper for a God-fearing man like him to part us, once we've been married by a priest. Rather, he ought to give us his blessing so that we will be legally married. You must tell Lovrens the same thing. He can state his own conditions for a reconciliation with us and demand whatever penalties he deems reasonable. I don't think Lovrens Bjorgelsen will be easy to advise in this matter, said Fru Asild. God and St. Olaf know that I do not like this business, nephew. But I realize that this is your last recourse if you are to repair the harm you have done to Kristen. Tomorrow I will ride to Jurengard myself if you'll lend me one of your men, and I can get Ingrid to the north to look after my livestock. 
Fru Asild arrived at Urengard the following evening just as the moonlight broke away from the last glow of the day. She saw how pale and hollow-cheeked Kristen had become when the girl came out to the courtyard to receive her guest. Fru Asild sat next to the hearth and played with the two younger sisters. Secretly, she watched Kristen with searching eyes as the maiden set the table. She was thin and silent. She had always been quiet, but it was a different kind of silence that had come over her now. Fru Asild could imagine all the tension and stubborn defiance that lay behind it. You've probably heard, said Kristen, coming over to her, about what happened here this fall. Yes, that my sister's son has asked for your hand. Do you remember, said Kristen, that you once said he and I might suit each other well, except that he was much too rich and of too good a family for me? I hear that Lovrens is of another mind, said Asiel dryly. There was a sparkle in Kristen's eye, and she smiled a little. She'll do, thought Fru Asiel. As little as she liked it, she would oblige Erland and give him the help he had asked for. Kristen made up her parents' bed for the guest, and Fru Asiel asked the young woman to sleep with her. After they lay down and the main room was quiet, Fru Asild explained her errand. Her heart grew strangely heavy when she saw that this child did not seem to give a thought to the sorrow she would cause her parents. Yet I lived in sorrow and torment with Bard for more than twenty years, thought Asild. But that's probably the way it is for all of us. Kristen didn't even seem to have noticed how Ulfield's health had declined that autumn. Asiel thought it unlikely that Kristen would see her little sister alive again. But she said nothing of this. The longer Kristen could hold on to this wild joy and keep up her courage, the better it would be for her. Kristen got up, and in the darkness she collected her jewelry in a small box, which she brought over to the bed. Then Fru Asiel said to her, It still seems to me, Kristen. A better idea for Erlon to ride over here when your father comes home, admit openly that he has done you a great wrong, and place his case in Lovren's hands. Then I think father would kill Erlond, said Kristen. Lovren's wouldn't do that if Erlond refused to draw his sword against his father-in-law, replied Asild. I don't want Erlon to be humiliated like that, said Kristen. And I don't want father to know that Erlond touched me before he asked for my hand with honor and respect. Do you think that Lovrens will be less angry when he hears that you've fled the farm with him? asked Asild. And do you think it will be any easier for him to bear? According to the law, you'll be nothing more than Erlond's mistress as long as you live with him without your father's consent. This is a different matter, said Kristen since he tried to win me as his wife, but could not. I will not be considered his mistress. Fru Asild was silent. She thought about having to meet Lavrens Bjorgolfsson when he returned home and found out that his daughter had stolen away. Then Kristen said, I see that you think me a bad daughter, Fru Asild, but ever since father came back from the Ting, every day here at home has been torture for him as well as for me. It's best for everyone if this matter is finally settled, 
they set off from Jurengard early the next day and reached Haugen at a little past the hour of mid-afternoon prayers. Erland met them in the courtyard, and Kristen threw herself into his arms without regard for Erland's manservant, who had accompanied Fru Asild and herself. Inside the house she greeted Björn Gunnarsson and then Erland's two other men as if she knew them well. Fru Asild could see no sign that she was either shy or afraid, and later, when they were sitting at the table and Erland presented his plan, Kristen joined in and suggested what road they should take. She said they should ride from Haugen the following night so late that they would arrive at the gorge as the moon went down, then travel in darkness through Seal until they had passed Lopsgard. From there they should go along the Otta River to the bridge, and then on the west side of the Otta and Log, by back roads as far as the horses could carry them. They would rest during the day at one of the spring huts there on the slopes, she said, for as far as the law of the holidus ting reaches, we might run into people who know me. Have you thought about fodder for the horses? asked Fru Asild. You can't take feed from people's spring huts in a year like this, if there's any there at all, and you know no one has any to sell here in the valley this year. I've thought of that, said Kristen. You must lend us fodder and provisions for three days. That's also the reason why we shouldn't travel in a large group. Erland will have to send Jon back to Husaby. In Trindelag it's been a better year, and it should be possible to get some supplies over the mountain before Christmas. There are some poor people south of the village that I'd like you to give some alms to, from Erland and me, Fru Asild. Björn uttered a strangely mirthless guffaw. Fru Asild shook her head, but the manservant Ulf lifted his sharp, swarthy face and looked at Kristen with a particularly sly smile. There's never anything left over at Husaby, Kristen Lavren's daughter, neither in a good year nor a bad one. But maybe things will be different when you manage the household. From your speech, it sounds like you're the wife Erland needs. Kristen nodded calmly at the man and continued hastily. They would have to keep away from the main road as much as possible, and it didn't seem advisable for them to travel via Hamar. Erland objected that that was where Munan was waiting. There was the matter of the letter for the Duchess. Ulf will have to leave us at Fagerberg and ride to Sir Munan while we head west toward Lake Mursa, and ride across country and by back roads via Hadalan down to Hakadal. From there, a desolate road goes south to Margaretadal. I've heard my uncle speak of it. It's not advisable for us to ride through Raumarike while the great wedding is taking place at Diefren, she said with a laugh. Erland came over and put his arm around her shoulders, and she leaned back against him, not caring about all the people who were sitting there watching. Fru Asild said acidly, Anyone might think you had eloped before and Herr Bjorn guffawed again. A little later, Fru Asild stood up to go to the cookhouse and prepare some food. She had started the fire out there because Erland's men would be sleeping in the cookhouse that night. She asked Kristen to come along, because I want to be able to swear to Lavrans Bjorgelsen that the two of you were never alone for a single minute in my house, she said crossly. Kristen laughed and went out with Asild. Erland at once came sauntering after them, 
pulled up a three-legged stool to the hearth and sat down. He kept getting in the women's way. He grabbed Kristen every time she came near him as she bustled and flew around. Finally, he pulled her down onto his knee. It's probably true what Ulf said, that you're the wife I need. Oh, yes, said Asild, both laughing and annoyed. She will certainly serve you well. She's the one risking everything in this venture. You're not risking much. That's true, said Erland. But I've shown my willingness to go to her along the proper paths. Don't be so angry, Aunt Asild. I have every right to be angry, she said. No sooner do you get your affairs in order than you put yourself in a position where you have to run away from everything with a woman. You must remember, aunt, said Erland, that it has always been true that it's not the worst men who get themselves into trouble for the sake of a woman. That's what all the sagas say. Oh, God help us, said Asild. Her face grew soft and young. I've heard that speech before, Erland. She took his head in her hands and ruffled his hair. At that moment, Ulf Halderson tore open the door and shut it at once behind him. A guest has arrived at the farm, Erland. The one person you would least want to see, I think. Is it Lovrens Bjorkelsen? asked Erland, jumping up. Unfortunately not, said the man. It's Aline Orm's daughter. The door was opened from the outside. The woman who entered shoved Ulf aside and stepped into the light. Kristen looked over at Erland. At first he seemed to wither and collapse. Then he straightened up, his face dark red. Where the devil did you come from? What do you want here? Fru Asild stepped forward and said, Come with us up to the house, Aline Orm's daughter. We have enough courtesy on this farm that we don't receive our guests in the cookhouse. I don't expect Erland's kin to greet me as a guest, Fru Asild, said the woman. You asked where I came from? I come from Husaby, as you well know. I bring you greetings from Orm and Margaret. They are well. Erland didn't reply. When I heard that you had asked Geeser Arnfinson to raise money for you, and that you were heading south again, she went on. I thought you would probably visit your kinsman in Gudbrandstal this time. I knew that you had made inquiries about the daughter of their neighbor. She looked at Kristen for the first time and met the girl's eyes. Kristen was very pale, but she gazed at the other woman with a calm and searching expression. Kristen was as calm as a rock. From the moment she heard who had arrived, she realized that it was the thought of Aline Orm's daughter that she had been constantly fleeing from, that she had tried to drown it out with defiance and restlessness and impatience. The whole time she had been striving not to think about whether Erland had freed himself completely from his former mistress. Now she had been overtaken, and it was futile to fight it any more. But she did not try to avoid it. She saw that Aline Orm's daughter was beautiful. She was no longer young, but she was lovely, and at one time she must have been radiantly beautiful. She had let her hood fall back. Her forehead was round and smooth. Her cheekbones jutted out slightly, but it was still easy to see that once she had been quite striking. Her wimple covered only the back of her head. As she spoke, 
Aline tucked the shiny gold wavy hair in front under the cloth. Kristen had never seen a woman with such big eyes. They were dark brown, round, and hard, but beneath the narrow coal-black eyebrows and long eyelashes, her eyes were strangely beautiful next to her golden hair. Her skin and lips were chapped from the ride in the cold, but this did not detract from her appearance. She was much too beautiful for that. The heavy traveling clothes enshrouded her figure, but she wore them and carried herself as only a woman can who bears the most confident pride in the splendor of her own body. She was not quite as tall as Kristen, but she had such a bearing that she seemed taller than the slim, small-boned girl. Has she been with you at Husaby the whole time? Kristen asked quietly. I haven't been at Husaby, said Erland brusquely, his face flushing again. I've been at Hesnes for most of the summer. Here is the news I wanted to bring you, Erland, said Aline. You no longer need to seek lodgings with your kinsmen and test their hospitality while I keep house for you. This autumn I became a widow. Erland stood motionless. I wasn't the one who asked you to come to Husaby to keep house last year, he said with difficulty. I heard that everything was going downhill there, said Aline. I still had enough good feelings toward you from the old days, Erland, that I thought I should look out for your well-being, though God knows you haven't treated me or our children very kindly. I've done what I could for the children, said Erland and you know full well that it was for their sake that I allowed you to stay at Husaby. You can't say that you did either them or me any good, he added, smiling spitefully. Geeser could manage quite well without your help. Yes, you've always trusted Geeser, said Aline, laughing softly. But the fact is, Erland, now I am free. If you wish, you can keep the promise you once gave me. Erland was silent. Do you remember, said Aline, the night I gave birth to your son? You promised then that you would marry me when Sigurd died. Erland pushed back his hair, wet with sweat. Yes, I remember, he said. Will you keep your word now? asked Aline. No, said Erland. Aline Orm's daughter looked over at Kristen, smiled slightly and nodded. Then she turned back to Erland. That was ten years ago, Aline, he said. Since that day we have lived together year in and year out like two people condemned to hell. That's not entirely true, she said with the same smile. It's been years since there was anything else, said Erland, exhausted. It wouldn't help the children. And you know— you know I can hardly stand to be in the same room with you any more, he almost screamed. I didn't notice that when you were home this summer, said Aline with a telling smile. We weren't enemies then, not all the time. If you think that meant we were friends, go ahead and think so, said Erland wearily. Are you just going to stand here, said Fru Osseld. She ladled some porridge into two large wooden trenchers and handed one of them to Kristen. The girl took it. Take it over to the house. Here, Ulf, take the other one. Put them on the table. We must have supper, no matter how things stand. 
Kristen and the servant went out with the dishes of food. Fru Osseld said to the others, Come along, you two. It does no good for you to stand here barking at each other. It's best for Aline and me to talk this out with each other now, said Erland. Fru Osseld said no more, and left. Over in the house, Kristen put the food on the table and brought up ale from the cellar. She sat down on the outer bench, erect as a candlestick, her face calm, but she did not eat. Bjorn and Erlon's men didn't have much appetite either. Only Bjorn's man and the servant who had come with Aline ate anything. Fru Asild sat down and ate a little porridge. No one said a word. Finally, Aline Orm's daughter came in alone. Fru Asild offered her a place between Kristen and herself. Aline sat down and ate something. Every once in a while, the trace of a secret smile flitted across her face, and she would glance at Kristen. After a while, Fru Asild went out to the cookhouse. The fire had almost gone out. Erland was sitting on the three-legged stool near the hearth, huddled up with his head on his arms. Fru Asild went over and put her hand on his shoulder. God forgive you, Erland, for the way you have handled things. Erland looked up. His face was tear-streaked with misery. She's with child, he said, and closed his eyes. Fru Asild's face flamed up. She gripped his shoulder hard. Whose is it? she asked bluntly and with contempt. Well, it isn't mine, said Erlon dully. But you probably won't believe me. No one will. He collapsed once more. Fru Asild sat down in front of him at the edge of the hearth. You must try to pull yourself together, Erlond. It's not so easy to believe you in this matter. Do you swear that it's not yours? Erlon lifted his haggard face. As truly as I need God's mercy, as truly as I hope that, that God has comforted Mother in Heaven for all that she had to endure down here, I have not touched Aline since the first time I saw Kristen, he shouted so that Fru Asild had to hush him. Then I don't see that this is such a misfortune. You must find out who the father is and pay him to marry her. I think it's Geeser Arnfinson, my foreman at Husaby, said Erland wearily. We talked about it last fall, and since then, too. Sigurd's death has been expected for some time. Geeser was willing to marry her when she became a widow if I would give her a sufficient dowry. I see, said Fru Asild. Erland went on. She swears that she won't have him. She will name me as the father. If I swear that I'm not, do you think anyone will believe that I'm not swearing falsely? You'll have to dissuade her, said Fru Asild. There's no other way out. You must go home with her to Husaby tomorrow, and then you must stand firm and arrange this marriage between your foreman and Aline. You're right, said Erland. Then he bent forward and sobbed aloud. Don't you see, aunt? What do you think Kristen will believe? That night, Erlon slept in the cookhouse with the servants. In the house, Kristen slept with Fru Asild in her bed, 
and Aline Ormstadter slept in the other one. Bjorn went out to sleep in the stable. The next morning, Kristen followed Fru Osseld out to the cowshed. While Fru Osseld went to the cookhouse to make breakfast, Kristen carried the milk up to the house. A candle was burning on the table. Aline was dressed and sitting on the edge of the bed. Kristen greeted her quietly, got out a basin, and strained the milk. Would you give me some milk? asked Aline. Kristen took a wooden ladle and handed it to the woman. She drank it greedily and looked over the rim at Kristen. So you're Kristen Lovren's daughter, the one who has robbed me of Erlon's affections, she said, handing the ladle back. You're the one who should know whether there were any affections to rob, replied the young maiden. Aline bit her lip. What will you do, she said, if Erlon grows tired of you and one day offers to marry you to his servant? Would you obey Erlond in that, too? Kristen didn't answer. Then the other woman laughed and said, You obey him in everything, I imagine. What do you think, Kristen? Shall we throw the dice for our man, we two mistresses of Erlond Niklausen? When she received no reply, she laughed again and said, Are you so simple-minded that you don't deny you're a kept woman? To you, I don't feel like lying, said Kristen. It wouldn't do you much good anyway, replied Aline in the same tone of voice. I know that boy. I can imagine that he probably rushed at you like a black grouse the second time you were together. And it's too bad for you, pretty child that you are. Kristen's cheeks grew pale. Sick with loathing, she said quietly, I don't want to talk to you. Do you think he'll treat you any better than he did me? Aline continued. Then Kristen replied sharply, I won't complain about Erland, no matter what he does. I was the one who took the wrong path, and I won't moan and feel sorry for myself even if it leads me out over the scree. Aline was silent for a moment. Then she said, flushed and uncertain, I was a maiden too when he took me, Kristen even though I had been the old man's wife for seven years. But you probably can't understand what a wretched life that was. Kristen started to tremble violently. Eileen gazed at her. Then she took a little horn out of her traveling box, which stood at her side on the step of the bed. She broke the seal and said quietly, You are young, and I am old, Kristen. I know it's useless for me to fight against you. Now it's your turn. Will you drink with me, Kristen? Kristen didn't move. Then the other woman put the horn to her lips. Kristen noticed that she did not drink. Aline said, You might at least do me the honor of drinking to me, and promise that you won't be a harsh stepmother to my children. Kristen took the horn. At that moment, Erland opened the door. He stood there looking from one woman to the other. What's this? he asked. Then Kristen replied, and her voice was shrill and wild. We're drinking to each other, your two mistresses. He grabbed her wrist and snatched away the horn. Be quiet, he said harshly. You shall not drink with her. Why not? 
said Kristen in the same voice as before. She was just as pure as I was when you seduced her. She's said that so often that she believes it herself, replied Erland. Do you remember when you made me go to Sigurd with that lie, Aline, and he produced witnesses that he had caught you with another man? Pale with disgust, Kristen turned away. Aline's face had flushed dark red. Then she said spitefully, Even so, that girl isn't going to turn into a leper if she drinks with me. Furious, Erlon turned toward Aline, and then his face suddenly grew rigid, and the man gasped in horror. Jesus, he said almost inaudibly. He grabbed Aline by the arm. Then drink to her, he said, his voice harsh and quavering. Drink first, and then she'll drink with you. Aline wrenched herself away with a gasp. She fled backward across the room, the man after her. Drink, he said. He pulled his dagger out of his belt and followed her with it in his hand. Taste the drink you've made for Kristen. He grabbed Aline by the arm, dragged her over to the table, and forced her to bend toward the horn. Aline screamed once and hid her face in her arm. Erland released her and stood there shaking. It was a hell with Sigurd, shrieked Aline. You, you promised. But you've treated me even worse, Erland. Then Kristen stepped forward and grabbed the horn. One of us must drink. You can't keep both of us. Erland took the horn from her and flung her across the room so she fell to the floor over by Fru Osild's bed. He forced the drink to Aline Orm's daughter's mouth. Standing with one knee on the bench next to her and his hand on her head, he tried to force her to drink. She fumbled under his arm, snatched the dagger from the table, and stabbed at the man. The blow didn't seem to cut much but his clothes. Then she turned the point on herself and immediately fell sideways into his arms. Kristen got up and came over to them. Erland was holding Aline, her head hung back over his arm. The death rattle came almost at once. She had blood in her throat, and it was running out of her mouth. She spat out a great quantity and said, I had intended that drink for you, for all the times you betrayed me. Go get Aunt Osild, said Erland in a low voice. Kristen stood motionless. She's dying, said Erland. Then she'll fare better than we will, replied Kristen. Erland looked at her, and the despair in her eyes softened her. She left the room. What is it? asked Fru Osild when Kristen called her away from the cookhouse. We've killed Aline Orm's daughter, said Kristen. She's dying. Fru Osild set off at a run, but Aline breathed her last as she stepped through the door. Fru Osild had laid out the dead woman on the bench. She wiped the blood from her face and covered it with a linen cloth. Erland stood leaning against the wall behind the body. Do you realize, said Fru Osild, that this was the worst thing that could have happened? She had put branches and kindling into the fireplace, 
Now she placed the horn in the middle and blew on it till it flared up. Can you trust your men? she asked. Ulf and Hoftor, I think I can. I don't know Jan very well, or the man who came with Aline. You realize, said Fru Asild, that if it comes out that you and Kristen were here together, and that you were alone with Aline when she died, that you might as well have let Kristen drink Aline's brew. And if there's any talk of poison, people will remember what I have been accused of in the past. Did she have any kinsmen or friends? No, said Erland in a subdued voice. She had no one but me. Even so, said Fru Asild, it'll be difficult to cover this up and remove the body without the deepest suspicion falling on you. She must be buried in consecrated ground, said Erland, if it costs me Husabi to do it. What do you say, Kristen? Kristen nodded. Fru Asild sat in silence. The more she thought about it, the more impossible it seemed to find a solution. In the cookhouse sat four men. Could Erland bribe all of them to keep quiet? Could any of them, could Eline's man, be paid to leave the country? That would always be risky. And at Urengard they knew that Kristen had been here. If Lavrence found out about it, she couldn't imagine what he might do. They would have to take the body away. The mountain road to the west was unthinkable now. There was the road to Romstal, or across the mountain to Nidaros, or south down the valley. And if the truth came out, it would never be believed, even if it were accepted. I'd have to discuss this with Bjorn, she said, standing up and going out. Bjorn Gunnarsson listened to his wife's account without changing expression and without taking his eyes off Erland. Bjorn, said Asiel desperately, someone has to swear that he saw her lay hands on herself. The light slowly darkened in Bjorn's eyes. He looked at his wife, and his mouth twisted into a crooked smile. You mean that someone should be me? Fru Asiel clasped her hands and raised them toward him. Bjorn, you know what it means for these two. And you think it's all over for me anyway? He asked slowly. Or do you think there's enough left of the man I once was that I'll dare to swear falsely to save this boy from going under? I, who was dragged under myself all those years ago. Dragged under, I say he repeated. You say this because I'm old now, whispered Asild. Kristen burst into sobs that cut through the room. Rigid and silent, she had been sitting in the corner near Asild's bed. Now she began to weep out loud. It was as if Fru Asild's voice had torn open her heart. This voice, heavy with memories of the sweetness of love, seemed to make Kristen fully realize for the first time what the love between her and Erland had been. The memory of burning, passionate happiness washed over everything else, washed away the cruel, despairing hatred from the night before. She felt only her love and her will to survive. All three of them looked at her. Then Herr Björn went over, put his hand under her chin, and gazed down at her. Kristen, 
Do you say that she did it herself? Every word you've heard is true, said Kristen firmly. We threatened her until she did it. She had planned a worse fate for Kristen, said Asild. Herr Buren let go of the girl. He went over to the body, lifted it onto the bed where Aline had slept the night before, and laid it close to the wall with the blankets pulled over it. You must send Jan and the man you don't know back to Husabi with the message that Aline will accompany you to the south. Have them ride off around noon. Tell them that the women are asleep in here. They'll have to eat in the cookhouse. Then speak to Ulf and Hoftor. Has she threatened to do this before? Can you bring witnesses forward if anyone asks about this? Everyone who has been at Husabi during the last years we lived together, said Erland wearily, can testify that she threatened to take her own life, and sometimes mine too, whenever I talked about leaving her. Bjorn laughed harshly. I thought so. Tonight we'll dress her in traveling clothes and put her in the sleigh. You'll have to sit next to her. Erland swayed where he stood. I can't do that. God only knows how much of a man there will be left of you when you take stock of yourself twenty years from now, said Bjorn. Do you think you can drive the sleigh, then? I'll sit next to her. We'll have to travel by night and on back roads until we reach Fraun. In this cold, no one will know how long she's been dead. We'll drive to the monk's hostel at Roldstad. There you and I will testify that the two of you came to words in the back of the sleigh. It's well attested that you haven't wanted to live with her since the ban was lifted from you, and that you have asked for the hand of a maiden who is your equal. Ulv and Hoftor must keep their distance during the whole journey so that they can swear, if necessary, that she was alive the last time they saw her. You can get them to do that, can't you? At the monk's hostel, you can have her placed in a casket. And then you must negotiate with the priests for peace in the grave for her, and peace of the soul for yourself. I know it's not pleasant, but you haven't handled matters so that it could be pleasant. Don't stand there like a child bride who's about to swoon away. God help you, my boy. I suppose you've never tried feeling the edge of a knife at your throat, have you? A biting wind was coming down off the mountain. Snow was blowing, fine and silvery, from the drifts up toward the moon-blue sky as the men prepared to set off. Two horses were hitched up, one in front of the other. Erlon sat in the front of the sleigh. Kristen went over to him. This time, Erlond, you must take the trouble to send me word about how the journey goes and where you end up. He squeezed her hand so hard she thought the blood would burst from her fingernails. Do you still dare stand by me, Kristen? Yes, I still do, she said, and after a moment, we both bear the blame for this deed. I urged you on because I wanted her dead. Fru Osseld and Kristen stood and watched them go. The sleigh dipped down and rose up over the drifts. It vanished in a hollow, to appear farther down on a white meadow, but then the men passed into the shadow of a slope and disappeared for good. The two women were sitting in front of the fireplace, their backs to the empty bed. Fru Osseld had taken out the bedclothes and straw. They both knew that it was standing there empty, gaping at them. Do you want us to sleep in the cookhouse tonight? 
Fru Osseld asked. It makes no difference where we sleep, said Kristen. Fru Osseld went outside to look at the weather. No, it doesn't matter whether a storm blows in or a thaw comes. They won't get far before the truth comes out, said Kristen. It always blows here at Haugen, replied Fru Osseld. There's no sign of a break in the weather. Then they sat in silence again. You mustn't forget what fate she had intended for the two of you, said Fru Osseld. Kristen said softly, I keep thinking that in her place I might have wanted to do the same. You would never have wanted to cause another person to become a leper, said Fru Osseld staunchly. Do you remember, Aunt, you once told me that it's a good thing you don't dare do something if you don't think it's right, but it's not good when you think something's not right because you don't dare do it. You didn't dare because it was a sin, said Fru Osseld. No, I don't think so, said Kristen. I've done many things that I thought I would never dare do because they were sins, but I didn't realize then that the consequence of sin is that you have to trample on other people. Erland wanted to mend his ways long before he met you, replied Osseld vehemently. It was over between those two. I know that, said Kristen, but she probably never had reason to believe that Erland's plans were so firm that she wouldn't be able to change them. Kristen, pleaded Fru Osseld fearfully, you won't give up Erland now, will you? The two of you can't be saved unless you save each other. That's hardly what a priest would say, said Kristen, smiling coldly. But I know that I won't let go of Erland, even if I have to trample on my own father. Fru Osseld stood up. We might as well keep ourselves busy instead of sitting here like this, she said. It would probably be useless for us to try to go to bed. She brought the butter churn from the storeroom, carried in some basins of milk, and filled it up. Then she took up her position to churn. Let me do that, begged Kristen. I have a younger back. They worked without talking. Kristen stood near the storeroom door and churned, and Asiel carted wool over by the hearth. Not until Kristen had strained out the churn and was forming the butter did she suddenly say, Aunt Asield, aren't you ever afraid of the day when you have to face God's judgment? Fru Osseld stood up and went over to stand in front of Kristen in light. Perhaps I'll have the courage to ask the one who created me, such as I am, whether he will have mercy on me when the time comes, for I have never asked for his mercy when I went against his commandments, and I have never asked God or man to return one penning of the fines I've had to pay here in my earthly home. One moment later she said quietly, Munan, my eldest son, was twenty years old. Back then he wasn't the way I know him to be now. They weren't like that then, those children of mine. Kristen replied softly, And yet you've had Herr Björn by your side every day and every night all these years. Yes, said Osseld, that I have. A little later Kristen was done with forming the butter. Then Fru Osseld said that they ought to try lying down for a while. In the dark bed she put her arm around Kristen's shoulder and pulled the girl's head toward her, and it wasn't long before she could hear by her even and quiet breathing that Kristen 
was asleep. 